Welcome to the Financially Independent Teachers Podcast, where educators come together to discuss their journey on the road to financial independence. Now, please join our co-host, Dave and Brandon, as they prepare to help other educators get fit with their finances. Welcome and thanks for joining us on episode number 83 of the Financially Independent Teachers Podcast. If you think your story can help other educators and you'd be willing to come on the show, please shoot me an email at getfiteducator at gmail.com. Coach, sounds kind of funny the fact that I am coaching varsity girls tennis right now at Jacksonville High School, but ever since the season has started, I have already started to lose my voice a little bit. So, you know, I try to coach them like their offense alignment out there, just yell and now, I really don't do that, but when you have 24 girls on the team and they're spread out among six courts and you're trying to, to yell on rotations and switch groups and stuff like that, uh, I'm starting to lose my voice a little bit. And we haven't even, even though we're recording this, we're recording this before school starts up. I kind of feel like the first week of school where that first week you're talking so much, routines, procedures. I always lose my voice the first week. How are you hanging in there, coach, with football? Yeah, I don't, I don't lose my voice anymore. I, uh, I've learned to manage that, so I, I, that never usually happens to me anymore. Uh, the, the joke on our football staff is that, uh, you know, Spice doesn't ever raise his voice, so when he does, it gets everybody's attention. Uh, I, reserve, uh, I reserve those moments for only the, when it's absolutely necessary. And same thing with school. Like, I don't, I don't really lose my voice at the beginning of school. I don't, I, I don't, maybe it's just because I talk all the time anyway. Alec, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you for having me, Dave. Where where are you calling in from this afternoon? I am in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Beautiful Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So if you could start out, maybe tell us a little bit about, about where you grew up and your trek to get down here to uh, North Carolina. Sure. So I grew up in Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, which is a suburb of Milwaukee, kind of northeast of the city, inner suburb. Um, and I am a musician and formerly a public school teacher as well. Um, and through that journey of going to music school for both piano performance and for music education, I ended up coming to the University of North Carolina School of the Arts in 2017, graduating the next year, 2018, um, and then getting a job at a charter school in this area of North Carolina. And I have just never left. And you have, um, you, so when you got out of school, we were talking before started recording, um, you, you took out quite a bit of student loan debt uh, to, get, to get those, um, you know, to get your degrees. And then when you took that first job at the charter school, uh, you, you noticed that there wasn't, uh, that, that your salary wasn't in harmony with uh, maybe the debt that you took out. And, and so how did you handle that? Uh, to start off with, that's a tough thing to start your career off with uh, a huge debt. And then the realization that the salary isn't going to be as maybe, I don't know if it was, it was less or more than you thought, but certainly not as much as you would hope to be making in relation to the debt. Right. Well, my, my salary, my first year of teaching um, was a little bit less than half of the total student loan debt that I had. So, you know, the, the typical balance that I think most people recommend is that you have less than one year's worth of salary in student loan debt. And I was over twice out of whack with, with that. So luckily when I was in grad school, 
I had been hired as a piano teacher through the university for uh, community music students, which means, you know, generally children, but also could be adults who want to take lessons, not like the college level. Um, and that was actually a really high paying side gig that I had because when I was first hired, it was $35 an hour. And I actually just left that gig recently, um, but it had grown all the way to $45 an hour. So it was, it was a way of, you know, helping to manage all this. But once the student loan payments started and, you know, it was, I think, $845 a month on a standard repayment for what I was dealing with, which was just insane, um, given that I think my my main job, I was making about $2,200 a month after taxes. And then I pretty much had to pay for my student loans entirely with my piano lessons on the side. So then I, I was uh, at the North Carolina Music Educators Association Conference my first year as a teacher. And they had an exhibition hall and there was an army band at this exhibition hall. And so I went over and talked to them. I'd kind of thought about it um, in the past. I mean, I think every musician is aware of military bands because there's not that many other real nine to fives you can get as a musician outside of joining the military. I mean, there are, but you know, it's a, a pretty stable way to be a musician. Um, and my dad actually was in the army. Um, uh, every every generation on my dad's side of the family since we came to this country, which is only three generations, but uh, we, we've all had somebody who served. So it wasn't a foreign concept to me. Um, and I went up to the band and, you know, a couple months later, it's the 440th Army Band, North Carolina Army National Guard. A couple months later, I'm taking the audition. A uh, month after that, I'm going to MEPS and getting enlisted. And, you know, I have a student loan repayment plan, and that has tremendously helped um, in addition to just extra income that I've been able to get from joining the guard. And so really the combination of while I was teaching, having a side hustle of piano lessons, but also having military uh, installments towards my student loans is really how I solved the problem. But of course, now I've left teaching altogether to start my own business as a piano teacher. I think that's kind of what this episode's about. When I believe when you filled out the form to come on the show, you were still in teaching. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I was able to get back to you as we've gone through that list. And you said, you know what, I'm not really sure if I'm still a fit for the show, no pun intended, because I'm no longer a teacher. But honestly, I think that you are a fit for the show because you were in education and you're taking some of the skills that you had as a teacher, parlaying that now into your own private business, which we're going to get into a little bit later. So just to kind of shape this, and this is what Coach Spees is really good at, uh, you start teaching in North Carolina in what year? Was it 2018? Yes, 2018. So 2018, you start teaching in North Carolina. When you when you were in college getting these degrees, did you plan on being a teacher that entire time, or did you just kind of randomly fall into teaching? And if you would have known what your teaching salary would have been, is that something that you would have still chosen to do? with a starting salary just under 40000 You know, that's an interesting uh, situation because when I was an undergrad, I, I got my Bachelor of Music in piano performance with a pedagogy emphasis, which is basically being a piano teacher is what that comes down to, not a licensed public school teacher. Then I went and got a, a, an MMT, Master of Music Teaching. It's basically the equivalent of a Master of Arts in teaching um, and got my licensure in Ohio. 
And then I didn't really feel ready to be out in the career field yet. So that's part of why I wanted to get my professional artist certificate in piano as well. Um, I just felt like I wanted to be a better musician before I hit the market. And I had grown up with, uh, Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin is a fairly upper middle class uh, place. Some of my teachers that I had with master's degrees and 25 plus years experience were making around $100,000 a year. So to then come to North Carolina and make 38,500, I think was my starting salary. You know, that was almost a completely foreign concept to me. And that's, that's something that I've, I've realized because I grew up in Wisconsin public schools. I student taught in Ohio public schools. I also, while I was a grad student, taught in the Winston-Salem Forsyth County, or substitute taught, excuse me, in the Winston-Salem Forsyth County schools. And then I was in a charter school here in this area. Um, so I've seen schools in three different states and very, very different schools. And I think that one of the things we like to forget is how non-standardized education is in this country and that teachers in different places are struggling in different amounts. Um, and unfortunately in North Carolina, and it's a bigger picture issue than any one school administrator can probably impact on a large level, but the teacher pay is just so much lower that it didn't even really cross my mind going through all of this compared to what I knew when I was growing up. That's uh, that's really interesting because, you know, so we, we talk to teachers all over the country, obviously, you know, th this show is, is given us a, a really you know, sort of the privilege of just meeting so many different people. I mean, I don't know how many states we've done interviews in now as far as, you know, where teachers have come from. And, you know, we, we do usually find that North Carolina is, uh, for one reason or another, um, you know, behind a lot of the other states. And so it had to have been, you know, discouraging. Uh, what, about, um, what about your family situation at that point? So you got out of college, you know, do we have uh, wife, kids, anything like that? Or what, what does that situation look like? No, I'm single. Okay. So you're, you're, you're single. You're gosh, I'm thinking back to my first house payment. It was around $900 a month. That was owning a townhouse. So you, you almost essentially had a first, a starter home payment on student loans. It could have been a house payment. Mm -hmm. um, are there any regrets on the student loan stuff? Obviously, you you busted your butt and you went and you started teaching, you know, private music lessons. You signed up for the military. Obviously, you're somebody who's a go getter and you're getting after it. But at any point, did you regret and say, you know what, I'm teaching right now and maybe I didn't need all of this education or maybe I wish I would have gone to a, a public school versus a private school? How did that look for you? You know, I don't have any regrets about it. Um, I mean, my, my regrets are more at the societal level that it costs that much to get an education. But when I was growing up, uh, my dad would always say to me, and I, I grew up in a very irreligious Jewish household, um, that education is the most important Jewish value. And so to me, like I, I went to the best possible music school I could go to at every level, basically is what it came down to. Lawrence University has phenomenal academics and really good music professors. Um, it's a really, really solid program. Um, and Oberlin Conservatory, obviously, is like one of the most famous music schools in the world, you know, um, so. Yeah, no I'm from Northeast Ohio, so I'm very familiar with Oberlin. It's a right. top 10 in everything. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then to come to the School of the Arts um, is also a great honor and a privilege, you know. Um, so as as far as that is concerned, I don't really subscribe to the sort of mindset that, you know, it, it doesn't matter where your degree is from, because I, I feel like as I've gone through my career, I have had skill sets, particularly in music theory and in the finer points of sequencing of pedagogy and things like that that I came out of the box really well prepared for that. Uh, I'm sorry, but you just don't get the same thing if you go to XYZ school, you know, however, financially it's not as efficient, right? Like that, that is definitely true. So I, I think if I, if I had to do it all over again, I would have found ways to um, maybe see if I could work more during school, educate myself more about what student loans were going to mean and how that was going to actually affect my life afterwards, because I don't think I really had a concept for that, but I wouldn't go to different schools. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> I, I like the answer because I, I kind of fall into your uh, line of thinking there with the schools. I, I'm Dave and I sometimes get into not really debates over this, but good discussions about <clears throat> the uh, importance of, education and uh and how you know uh you know for for some i I think our discussions center around um what is worth going into debt for which is what you were just addressing and and sometimes i would be a little more liberal in what i would be would consider worth going into debt of course we've had some people on the show like christina ellis who have really kind of laid out a the 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 pathway to going to school debt free by earning scholarships and by you know applying for things that most people don't even know about and things like that and so you know, we really want to encourage people that are listening to the show that have have uh, have kids or people that are maybe listening to the show show and are getting ready to pursue an education to to really educate themselves on the different paths. But I, but I really like the answer. I think I think that it's it's never a waste when you go someplace and you and you receive a top notch education that that lasts forever. So that's a, a really positive thing. So you go into the uh, National Guard as a as a way of paying off student loan debt. You know, how did that work and how did, how might that be different from what others think? You know, you, we, I remember we talked about it and you said that you know, some might, it may not work the way some people think it works. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear about that. Right. So I can speak to at least the, the contract that I signed, um, because the thing about the military is that the policies are always changing. So I don't know what the most current up to date information is, because I am more than halfway through my contract. However, when, when I enlisted, um, the limit theoretically on what you can get from them for a normal student loan repayment plan is $50,000. That is different if, say, if you play um, like clarinet, for example, I have a friend who uh, is at the 82nd Airborne Division Band, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and I went to UNCSA with him, and he told me, because he plays an instrument that the army is very low strength on, they actually gave him 65,000 instead of 50,000. Or another example could be if you are a doctor, I remember seeing um, when I was first in the guard signs about how doctors can have up to 240,000. But that number that they give you is the pre-tax amount. And the thing is that um, your, your student loan repayment does count as taxable income. And they tax it at about a 28% rate. And then, you know, when you do your taxes at the end of the year, because obviously I don't have a 28% income bracket, right? You know, um, so then you can get that money back. 
um, and it all evens out. But basically, um, I believe the maximum amount is $7,500 a year, which when you add it up over a six-year contract, which the standard National Guard contract is six by two, that's actually only $45,000. Then you take out the taxes, the most you would see paid at a time is $5,400 a year. Um, And you might be wondering, okay, $45,000, what happened to the other five? You have to re-enlist for that. So um, it's not like they're just paying all of your loans. What it is, is you have to stay current on paying your loans and they give you a nice little boost every year that is, it ends up being proportional. So it's 15% of what you owe at a minimum of $500. So let's say that you get to the end of your contract and you only owe like $2,000 left on your loans. They'll still pay 500 but the most they'll pay is that 7,500, which after taxes is 5,400. Um, so really it's proportional. And when I, I, I've obviously done a lot of math on this, when you take the taxes out, what it ends up being is they pay 10.8% of what you owe on a yearly basis. Um, and that, that means that you do again, have to be current on everything. You have to make sure that you're doing your part. And it depends on your student loan servicer, how they distribute that. My servicer, I have Nelnet. Um, they fortunately just put it all towards whichever loan has the highest interest rate every time that they get a payment. So that's really good for me. Um, but I think theoretically, it's supposed to be evenly distributed amongst all your loans. Um, but I won't complain if they're going to pay off my highest interest. Wow. So obviously, everybody's different. You know, you're a musician. There are people, you know, Unfortunately, I had a um, at a that was a tough lesson, coach, as a young teacher here in a military town in Jacksonville, North Carolina, home of Camp Lejeune for the Marine Corps. I think I was a 24 year old head coach and my starting right fielder, who was also a football player. His dad had recently gotten out of the Marine Corps. I think he'd maybe done like 14 years, but he wanted to be at home more with the family. Um, So he ended up joining. I think it was either the, the National Guard or the Army Reserve or something like that. And then, of course, you know, 9-11 happens shortly thereafter. He ends up getting deployed in my first or second year as a head coach. You know, unfortunately, one of my student athletes lost his father's life uh, serving over in Afghanistan. And, you know, that that was not what they thought they had signed up for. They thought, hey, let's get him home. Let's get him like, you know, just as a reserve unit or whatever. He got called over and got blown up uh, by an IED. That's that's a tough thing to handle is obviously as a community, as a young coach, as a young teacher, trying to mentor a kid that's 18 and I'm only 24. But so again, just, just to preface this, that just because somebody joins the military, you know, there are so many other things that go into it beyond finances. I'm not saying, Hey, go join the national guard because get your student loans paid off. Well, that is an option, but I was going to ask your opinion, Alec, do you think that, you know, what insight would you give to maybe other teachers who are young and they feel like maybe they want to serve their country and they've got forty, fifty thousand dollars of student loan debt. Is that something that you would advise people to do based on your experience and other people you've talked to? I know it's hard to give people advice on something like that, but what insight would you give? Yeah, I want to say, first of all, that you're completely correct that joining the National Guard has had a much bigger impact on my life overall than what I thought it would. Um, so. I would say if, if you're in a similar situation to what I was, first of all, do your research, make sure that you understand what your recruiter is telling you and that you 
feel comfortable with your recruiter. Don't sign up with a recruiter that, that you think they're just trying to get you into maps. Um, don't sign anything unless you've read it so that you understand what you're getting yourself into. But yeah, as an example of what you're talking about, what's kind of the other stuff that comes along. So I went to basic combat training. Yes, I'm in the band. Um, yes, I still went to 10 weeks at Fort Jackson. Um, you know, I went to advanced individual training, which was Army School of Music. Um, so that was a lot more in line with stuff that I was familiar with. Basic training, of course, was a lot of culture shock for a 25-year-old split option trainer who was there with the 17-year-olds who were going back to their senior year of high school especially when I myself was already a teacher, you know, I was literally licensed to teach some of them. So that was, if you join a little bit older, th that is kind of a consideration um, that you're, you're going to have a hard time dealing with that younger crowd who don't know how to be respectful sometimes, uh, especially when drill sergeants just make things more stressful as a result of a lack of respect. Right. Um, but I mean, obviously I'm not in a combat MOS. It would be, fairly not impossible but fairly unlikely for me to get deployed to a combat zone but one of the things that did happen was um when when covid um ramped up and, and we started getting the vaccines i was actually mobilized at the very end of president trump's presidency they mobilized me um to a vaccine site um but the the reason that i bring up who was president is just because at first, it wasn't really clear what was going on, and I thought that I might have been going to D.C., given the timing of what all happened. Um, and a lot of people around me at the school that I was working at were convinced that I went to D.C., even though and I, I couldn't really talk about it. But then when I came back, I was like, yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't. I went to, you know, Lewisburg, North Carolina. Um, but that kept me away from school for three months or so. And you know how hard it was during the depths of COVID to find a music substitute teacher at a relatively rural school. Um, yeah, my kids didn't have music class. So that, that was an effect of joining the guard. Wow. So want to talk just a little bit about uh, the decision to get out of teaching. Um, and we, we know about the financial struggles, but, uh, how did you enjoy being a classroom teacher? Do you miss it? Or did you find that that was something that, uh, you know, you were, you were sort of happy to push away from what did, what did that, what did that decision look like? That was a very difficult decision um, because it was very hard for me to imagine what else I might do with my life because I had spent such a long time. Um, I mean, I went to six years of music school and then I was four years into a career that had taken me halfway across the country. I made lots of sacrifices to be this specific music educator that I wanted to be. Um, and I really did love what I was doing, but what it came down to was ultimately, you know, here I am slogging away with the, the normal, you know, things that a teacher has to deal with on a daily basis. And then I also have to go sometimes directly to piano lessons for several hours after school. Um, and schlep over to drill one weekend a month because my unit's in Raleigh um, and have this really stressful lifestyle, except for during the summer, obviously it wasn't as bad. Um, and uh, all of those things were exacerbated by COVID as well, you know? 
And I'm only paying for myself, my own existence. I'm not paying for uh, a wife or kids or things like that. And it, it was really hard to envision, okay, you know, I took a look around my school um, and because it was fairly small and a lot of the people had been there for a while. So I really knew the staff, you know, and I just took a look around and I was thinking to myself, okay, who that works here, who is married and has kids is the primary breadwinner in their home. And as far, and this is just my own postulating, like maybe I'm wrong about this, but as far as I could tell outside of the administration, the answer was nobody, right? So it was just a decision really about my future and how I had kind of been stuck in the sort of immediate post-school, early to mid-20s, like, yeah, I'll do anything. This is great. And, and time had kind of passed me by. And here I was in my late 20s now wanting to do things with my life that financially I just couldn't. And I also just didn't have the time in the day because, I, you know, I had to work sometimes almost 13 hours. Yeah, that kills your social uh, calendar when you're working that many hours, for sure. You know, Dave, I know that, you know, you and I have been around a long time. You know, you've you've been in the classroom close to 20 years. I've been just over 20 years. And, you know, so a lot of years of teaching, we've met a lot of teachers along the way. And uh, I know that I have met a lot of teachers uh, over the years that probably would rather do something else, but are afraid to take the step. And they don't have the confidence to know that they have a skill set that is actually in demand, that they, there's a lot of things that they could possibly do. I remember when I was in my 20s, uh, I got a little frustrated at one point. It didn't last long, but I definitely started looking around at, you know, I have, I have degrees in political science and history. And so I started looking around at, you know, what I might be able to do. And I discovered there were quite a few things I would be able to do if I was willing to move. I was going to need to move to do it, but that there were quite a few opportunities out there. At the end of the day, I, I've, I've really never wanted to do anything else but teach, but, but um, I don't know, Dave, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, there's so many stories right now in the media. There, there's been a big national one actually also out of Northeast Ohio where a, uh, I think he was maybe in eighth or ninth year teaching. He now took a job on at Walmart and he said he got a $20,000 raise. And he said it was at a position at Walmart where it didn't even require a degree. So again, we are the Financially Independent Teachers Podcast. We love teachers. We're here to serve and help teachers. But, you know, teaching isn't for everyone all the time. I mean, I don't see myself doing what you're talking about doing, Coach, where you want to teach till you're at least 60 years old or so. I look at, I love my job and, you know, I can get out at 50 and hopefully at 50 years old, I'll have the option to get out if I want to. I might choose at that point to stay. But I just think that teachers sometimes, because we're so used to being in a school environment, we talked before the show, Alex said this year was the first year in, you know, over 22, 23 years or so that he didn't have a first day of school. And that was kind of awkward. A lot of us as teachers, you know, we're, we're students K through 12. We go to college. Maybe we get our master's degree. We go right into the classroom. A lot of us, not all. And that's all you know is education. All you know is being in a, in a schoolhouse. But we are so talented. We have so many other skills beyond just teaching that can parlay easily into the private sector if that's something that you want to do. So, you know, the goal of our show isn't to get teachers to quit. Uh, the goal of our show is to, to get any listener toward financial independence, whether that be in teaching or not in teaching. And that's what I wanted to ask Alec uh, as well as like, when did you get on this financial journey of trying to set yourself up? Is this something that you've read books on, listened to podcasts. 
maybe it's social media groups. What set or maybe planted the seed for you trying to be smart with your finances? Sure. So I never received any kind of formal financial education because like I said, I went to a very um, ritzy sort of public high school um, and they offered those classes, but it was seen as the classes that the dumb kids who weren't taking APs would take, which in hindsight, you were asking me before about what would I do differently in education? It would be in high school, not in college. I would have absolutely taken some personal finance or business classes or things of that nature and not been roped into like, oh, you have to take APs. Otherwise, like what's wrong with you? You know, that kind of attitude is is not very helpful ultimately to the students. Anyway, I digress. So um, really, I never really thought about personal finance or investing or anything like that until I was, you know, out of grad school and in my first year of teaching. Uh, prior to that, it had always just been like, well, I'm just going to you know, enjoy myself and get by and it'll be fine. And now I'm in my career and I'm sure if I, you know, get my match, I'll be okay. Right. Um, and then I, I remember my first student loan payment that was due came due in um, December of my first year of teaching because I had graduated in May and it was the six months plus my servicer was just a little slow. So it was like seven months after I graduated. Um, and I saw $845 and I took a look at what I was, you know, earning on a monthly basis. And I was like, holy cow, I need to do something. Right. And at that point I had no retirement savings either because the school that I taught at was a first year school when I was a first year teacher. And it took them until about February to set up the 403Bs. They, they did, granted, give us like a $500 bonus that you could put entirely into the 403B if you wanted to, to make up for it, which is what I did. Um, but either way, I, I was like, okay, I'm in this situation where I don't make that much money. I have, like you said earlier, basically a house payment worth of student loan debt. And um, I don't even have any savings, really, you know. So then I made the decision to join the guard and get that student loan repayment and the other benefits that come with that. Um, and I had a really good platoon sergeant when I first showed up to my unit. Um, and he is, I would assume, a multimillionaire off of real estate that he used his VA home loan to, to leverage. There's a whole story there. Uh, but regardless, he told me about a YouTube channel um, that was personal finance related. I'm blanking on what the name is right now, but it's the one where the guy has like the, the drawings and he talks a uh, voiceover, uh, but you see his hand like drawing out these things. And th there's a program where you can see other channels that do that anyway. So that then like led the algorithm to show me Dave Ramsey. And I went on this like really big Dave Ramsey, like spiral of watching all his stuff. And I, I was like a total believer for a little while until the algorithm showed me um, the, the money guy. And then I, I was like, okay, Dave Ramsey is good for people who either don't know a lot about personal finance, which is where I was coming from, or maybe people who don't trust themselves to have the sort of, I guess, discipline necessary to make a little bit riskier financial moves that will pay off more in the future. But the money guy is is what I would absolutely plug um, as far as, you know, 
balancing the risk that comes with investing versus paying off debt, but also getting you to a higher net worth down the line than, than you ever would if you're following the baby steps. Regardless, so what I did was during COVID, um, I, hadn't, I hadn't quite gone on that journey yet fully, um, but I started paying off individual student loans that I had um, while, while they didn't need to be paid. Um, and I think I had 14 different student loans individually when I started, um, and now I only have four. So my monthly payment is like less than half of what it used to be. So, I mean, I wish I didn't have any monthly payment at all, but, you know, it's, it's not going to affect me as much, especially now that I've started Triad Music Academy is the name of my piano studio. And I'm on the cusp of, with a few more signups, I'll be making significantly more money than I did as a teacher and also working a lot less hours. So you are, you're still banging away at debt, but you're also investing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, and that, that would be a break from the, the baby steps. Uh, and, and actually, um, you know, I've done some of that too, you know, even though I'm a big believer in the baby steps, uh, you know, I'm 44 years old. And so, you know, one of the conversations that Dave and I had, um, and a couple of other, the guests on the show, well, some of the conversations we've had is I have uh, less time to take care of compound interest than, than others. And so, you know, when I came out of my divorce and, and was paying off debt, it was like, okay, well, how can I balance this and invest some and, you know, and try to maybe balance uh, debt repayment with, um, with investing. But so you're investing and uh, paying off debt at the same time. Do you have uh, some sort of um, uh, a line of reasoning a lot, you know, in terms of uh, how you make the decision on how much to invest and how much to allocate towards debt? Uh, in a way that is reasonable and makes sense. What was your decision-making process on that? Right. So, I mean, it's, it's simple math, right? Because for example, my highest student loan interest rate that I had was 6%. Mm -hmm. Um, And that loan, fortunately, I'm now completely done with. Um, But if the average rate of return, according to most sources that I've seen is 7% and compound interest is strongest when you're youngest, then it makes sense that if you have extra money, you know, as long as what your goal is, is to have the nicest retirement possible, then you should throw that extra money towards investing rather than paying off the student loan debt. But there is a caveat to that in my case, which was, you know, when, when my take-home pay after working two jobs initially, because remember I started paying off the debt before I joined the military. My take-home pay after two jobs was probably about three thousand or thirty-two hundred, somewhere in that each month, and I had almost nine hundred in student loan debt. So almost a third of all my money was going to student loan debt. It was much more urgent because just from a monthly budgeting standpoint, that's a huge deal. You know that meant that okay, I had to find really cheap rent and live the rest of my existence off of after rent and student loans, you know, like only half of my income. Um, but, but now I, I'm projecting, I will probably fairly soon hit the $5,000 a month mark in pre-tax income um, with, with Triad Music Academy. Um, and my, my payment is less than $400. So the balance is completely different. The sense of urgency can be a little bit more relaxed if you're strategizing, right? Um, and, and there's also the, the matter of match. When, when I had a 403B, which I've now rolled over into uh, IRAs, because 
you know, the, the match was traditional. What I put in was Roth. So they have to be two separate IRAs, but if, if they're going to match 3%, which is what my school was matching, then you're throwing away free money by not at least getting the match. Right. Absolutely. So you should probably consider all these things. And um, I mean, in my case, I also um, have a TSP through the military where they, they match. It, it's a really roundabout way of doing it, but it effectively ends up to 5%. Um, now from my drill check, that means they take out like $17 a drill weekend and then match that. So it's not a huge amount of money. But there is also, you know, if I do stay in and do 20 years, um, there you go. There's a, a stipend that you get every month once you turn. It would be 60. In my case, it's 59 and three quarters because I spent time on the vaccine site. So I can get it a little bit early. But guard reserve retirement is not like active duty. But you, you do get um, a pension on top of whatever you save. So what advice would you give the teachers right now as we uh, get ready to wrap up? If they're not really sure if they're called to be in the classroom anymore, and maybe they're thinking about starting their own business or expanding beyond the classroom, what would your advice be to a teacher that's going through that? Well, first of all, make sure that you are comfortable with that decision um, and then do it and don't look back. You know, in indecision, at least in my experience, is usually where you breed unhappiness. So got to get behind whatever it is that you're setting your sights on. Um, and I would echo what, what you guys both said, that you know there are any number of ways that a teacher's skill set it, it could be useful. I mean, because what is being a teacher? It's being a good communicator while juggling 8,000 things um, while also dealing with people. And people who are probably in a lot of ways much more fragile than what you're going to deal with in other jobs, uh, especially if you taught elementary school like I did, you know, um, and there are, there are so many different places where you could go. I mean, you could start a business like I did. It's a lot more obvious for a music teacher. I mean, piano lessons, it's one of the oldest tricks in the book, right? Um, but regardless of whether it's piano or, you know, music, or if you teach like computers or if you teach history or whatever, there is some way that you could probably start your own business around what it is that you know, and it's got some kind of market value. But then you can also look at other jobs. Like for right now, um, for example, if you go on fbijobs.gov, I believe it is, and you look, or maybe it's in USA Jobs, I forgot where I saw this posting, but they're specifically recruiting teachers to be FBI agents right now, you know, because the government realizes the value of what a teacher brings to the table. So that's just one example, but there are any number of ways you can take that skill set and do something that's more financially efficient. Brandon, yeah, I think I, you've got your side hustle. Well, you know, when I went online back in my 20s and was trying to, you know, see what, what, what else might be out there for someone like me, uh, you know, should I want to get out of teaching? I mean, I found all kinds of jobs in, in, at the federal level uh, that paid really well that I was qualified to do, that my degrees qualified me to do. A couple of those jobs were in Homeland Security. And I mean, of course, no, you have to apply and there's no, you know, it's not like, you you know, you, there's no guarantee you're going to get that job, but I was qualified for those jobs. And, um, and uh, so anyways, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that, that people can do. My, my big thing is, is that we want teachers in the classroom that really want to be there, you know, and, and of course, um, and are able to be there. So there's two parts of that, right? So you've got some, some teachers who really don't enjoy being in the classroom. That's not you. You, you were someone who did enjoy being in the classroom, but you were looking at what you wanted to do 
financially and said, man, I've got to find a way to, to, you know, make more money. And you, you're still, you're still teaching, but you're, you're doing it on your own, you know? So that's, um, but uh, the other thing is, is that there's teachers out there that really would love the classroom, but it is really tough to teach in the classroom. Like you said, uh, when you are struggling financially, you know, uh, you're, you've got all these things that you're trying to do. I mean, the, te- the teaching job is very demanding. Sometimes I hear people say that uh, because there's no outdoor work or heavy lifting, it's not, it's not hard, but, but I, I've, I've done outdoor work and heavy lifting. Um, uh, sometimes that's pre- preferable uh, to some of the challenges that we face in the classroom. Uh, and so, you know, if you're not, if you're not, if you're financially struggling, you'll struggle as an educator. And one of the reasons why I think Dave wanted to start this show is to help teachers become better teachers so that because they become financially, if they start winning with money, then the classroom becomes, they can focus on that and it becomes a little easier. But, but, um, I I think a big takeaway from this show is, is that, uh, if you're sitting out there and you're a teacher and for whatever the reason, uh, you know, you feel trapped in this job, this is not the job to be trapped in. You know, this is a job that either you either embrace it and you love it and you go to work every day looking to sort of take on the world and enjoy doing what you're doing. Or, you know, we, we you know, put our thinking caps on, so to speak, and we say, OK, what else can I do? So I, I love that component to the show. And then also uh, some uh, a lot of the stuff you brought to the table today has been great. I think this is going to be a great episode. It's going to get people thinking about maybe a lot of different things. So um, just kind of want to thank you for being willing to come on and share your story. Well, thank you both for having me. It's uh, been a pleasure. This is not a thing that I thought I would ever do, you know, talking on uh-huh. a personal finance podcast. But I mean, you just, you you learn a lot of things in life, right? At least you hope to. And I'm I'm glad to be able to help you spread the message. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate it. You know, having a catalog that just offers so many different ways of doing things is only going to help all the listeners that are out there. And just one piece of advice as a financial coach, uh, and I've had my own little side businesses of lawn care and things like that. I would highly recommend if you are a teacher and you're thinking about going into business for yourself, maybe you try to do both to start out and build that clientele. Um, I'm sure that helps. I know that if I wanted to go full-time into lawn care, it would have helped a lot because I had already had three to five years experience with clients with my teaching schedule being done at 3.30 every day to be able to do that. I wouldn't just go cold turkey uh, in most situations, but I would I would develop those skills along the way, just like Alec had done. It sounds like you know, you'd already been giving private lessons and things like that. You'd probably already learned a lot of the tricks of the trade as far as maybe starting your own business doing that. It might've been a lot more difficult to just cut out teaching and then start a new business. I don't know if you have anything you'd like to share on that before we wrap up. Right. Yeah. So in my situation, I obviously knew how to give the service already, but I didn't know anything about running a business. And I did start Triad Music Academy and teach the first few lessons, small number of lessons while I was still working for the school. Um, But I hired a consultant who professionally helps people build music, uh, music studios. And because I have been so careful about having enough money, you know, in my savings account and things like that, I was able to pay for her, fully afford it, and also get paid over the summer by my teaching job. I know not all jobs in North Carolina do that, but at the school that I was at, they did do that. So, you know, I've had a pretty good summer financially because I was careful about how I went about everything. So you're right. Awesome. Well, that is a great story. We appreciate you coming on, Alec and Coach. I appreciate you as always. And thank you for joining us to all the listeners. 
on this week's version of the Fit Educator Podcast. We hope you join us for next week. And remember, someone is sitting in the shade today because they planted a tree a long time ago. Take care, everybody.